The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. At the latter part of our meeting tonight, talk about reformed theory of knowledge and of being. But as a background, I think it's almost indispensable to think of the Romanist view and of the evangelical or Arminian view. Now, Thomas Aquinas is, of course, the greatest expositor of the scholastic philosophy of Romanism. I'll read a few paragraphs, if I may. In the encyclical letter of Pope Leo XIII, the study of St. Thomas is recommended to the teachers of the Church in the interest of the spreading of the faith in the following words. We, therefore, while we declare that everything wisely said should be received with willing and glad mind, as well as everything profitably discovered or thought out, exhort all of you, venerable brothers, with the greatest earnestness to restore the golden wisdom of St. Thomas, to spread it as far as you can for the safety and the glory of the Catholic faith, for the good of society, and for the increase of all the sciences. Now note how comprehensive the glory of the Roman Catholic Church, which is then to him, of course, the church, because there was no Protestant church, and the Catholic faith, and the venerable brothers, that is, the cardinals, the golden words, that is, they are precious, and we must listen to them. Now, those golden words are based on Aristotle's philosophy, which means analogy of being, no being, and then not a created being, but just thereness of being, and then we have energy, we must do this, free will, and then we must have a pattern according to which, which is the truth of the gospel, and then the goal, well, you can say here's a woman makes a beautiful dress, gets the material, and um, gets a pattern, clips it, and it's for her daughter's wedding. Now, it is all immanentistic. There's not a reference to the God of the Scriptures anywhere in Thomas's writings. At last, of course, he gets there. But first, it's natural reason. That is not the revelation of God in nature. That, as we, he believing historic Christians, also insist on that all have sinned because they, from the beginning, knowing God, have not honored him as God. But that is already a parting of the ways. The first thing to be noted about this approach is that he begins with his identification of God and both in the Summa Gondolacantilis and the Summa Theologica, his two main works, each of about six volumes, uh, by means of natural reason. He does not, natural reason, we all have intellects and we're told to use what gifts God has given us to the interpretation of the scriptures. You can't do without, not deduction and induction, but together implication into understanding of what God in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament have to tell us about man's creation, his fall and his redemption in Christ and his sanctification by the spirit of prophecy. But this is different. He argues that it cannot any it cannot say much about the nature of God that he insists that it can prove the existence of God. 
Now, what can you do with the existence of God unless you say something about the nature? Just like Bart says, he couldn't he couldn't believe in the historicity of a serpent, but wouldn't the dear friends of the speaking serpent rather listen to what the serpent said? A what without a that is nothing, but a that without a what is nothing either. That is, you have to know what this thing is that you're talking about. You can't talk about the thing unless you say it's a beautiful thing, it's something that my wife made for my daughter, or else you're not talking good sense. But this very remotion that is climbing up step-by-step step ladder, not Jacob's ladder, but remotion that is no, away from the things you see, as tells us something at least of what God is by telling us what he is not. Now, my friends, I don't think you can say anything about something that what it is not. If you have, you can say it isn't a cow, it isn't a chicken, it is a lion, because you know the beast of the forest, or he isn't a Dutchman. You wouldn't want to be for a million dollars. Would you be a Dutcher? Would you be a Hitler? No. You have to know what he did, what he was, what he was intended. In other words, the what without a that. Neither can you have to say. That was not the man you have to have teaching. God is what he says he is. At first, it seems, in the Contragentiles, you assert that reason can only the fact that that God exists. Now, that he says, I'm quoting, that God exists, not what he says. But then, by remotion, we can say only a little. Well, you can't say a little unless you can say exactly that little which God has said is all God has said in the Bible for us. Now, in considering the divine substance, he says, uh, that reason can only know that the fact that God exists but cannot know what God is. Quote, now, in considering the divine substance, we should especially make use of the method of remotion. Now, that means negation. It isn't this, it isn't that. What is it? Well, Aristotle, it is thought, thinking itself, which means not a creator, no relationship to the world, negation, negation. Well, in Plotinus, it is, of course, nothing can be said about it. That's pure mysticism. That's pure projection of your own image. Of course, that's what it is. At bottom, man loves to take a picture of himself and put it up on the stand, not the picture of your little baby, but you were there before your little baby was, so you must there be first and have a big portrait of yourself. Now, that is just, of course, what man wants. He wants man himself to take the place of God, who says, no image shall you make, and they did it. And that's why they were banished from, from their land. Now then, he says, but this very way of remotion, he adds, tells us something, at least, of what God is by telling us what he is not. We shall approach all the nearer to a knowledge of the nature of God, even by the way of remotion, as through our intellect we are able to remove more and more things from him. Now, notice the use of intellect. As Dr. Johnson was stressing, we have to use intellect. Of course we do. We're made, we're made that way. That's the purpose that we must use our intellect to understand what the Bible means, what God means, and what the false philosophies mean to destroy the Word of God. But now, for him, the intellect is a participation of the divine intellect. And that's why it, if it is one with, it knows all things, but it isn't enough. So you learn a little. Well, a little, they say, is better than nothing. 
that's pure. That's certainly true when you have fine, beautiful little cookies like I had tonight. But it's not true in the gospel. By this way, then, as though our intellect, we are able to remove more and more things from him. For we know each thing more perfectly the more as we see its difference from other other things. For each thing has within itself its own being distinct from all other beings. Now again, we are not distinct from all other beings. We are Tom, Dick, and Harry, but we are one ethically in Christ Jesus. Now he has nothing of anything like that. It is just distinctness. And then after a while, remoteness. And then we are all one in a something that is nowhere. For we know each thing more perfectly. We locate them in a genus through which we know in a general way what they are. Then we have differences to each thing by which we may be distinguished from other things. In this way, a complete knowledge of substance is built up. Now notice a complete knowledge by man's reason independent of God, which means that he doesn't need God at all. Now this is maybe a little bit more easy to understand. Socrates says, Socrates is a man, Kelly's is a man. So you've said nothing about Socrates individually, you've said, uh, and you could say of every man is a man. But now you can have a particular, well, Socrates is snub-nosed, and Callius is smooth-faced. But that says, that's accidental. There may be a million snub-nosed individuals, and an awful lot of nice smooth-faced guys. But don't you see, it's either total determinism and universalism, or it is complete unrelatedness. But how do you get to identify yourself? Well, here's a turnpike. If I get into it, universalized, I get turnpiked out of existence. If I get loose from it, well, then I drown in the ocean of, of individuality. Now, that I cannot identify myself. The laws of logic depend on the laws or the law of identity. You must say who I am and what I am. And that is, of course, a simple fact in gospel truth. I am the Lord thy God. There are none other. I know not any. The others are idols. Well, now, that is... Snub nose is, of course, <laughs> Socrates said, well, you know, he wanted to know. He was, he was about to drink the Hamlet cup, but he didn't mind at all because, uh, because in the other world... It, he would be participant in that idea of life. But in that world of life, Socrates was there and Plato was there and a few others. But then, of course, when Christianity came there, then everybody flew to heaven. Nobody came down there anymore and there's no place for philosophers. But Darwin came on evolution, but he had no head for philosophy at all. Well, now, he was in a bad way. He had only three people in that other world to talk to him endlessly without getting tired and ever having a cookie for refreshment. <laughs> you see, I'm a cookie specialist. <laughs> it is this way that Thomas combines one principle which, if carried through, would lead to the idea of man can know nothing of God, and another principle which, if carried through, would lead to the idea that man knows everything of God. Now, then he has to be an analogy. Univocism is everything. Equivocism is nothing. Analogy is a relationship, an in integration of both of them. So you read from univocism, from non-being, and then you gradually get a little being, as Plato also says, doxa, and then you finally get to complete being, but of which nothing can be said, thought, thinking, itself. 
It is thus that Thomas seeks to reach the natural man with the teachings of Christianity. Now, this is basic. This is the basis as the Pope Leo and invited people to listen to the golden words. Now, he means that. Thomas is the greatest and deepest thinker of the history of the Roman Catholic Church. Anselm, of course, in his way. But it is, he is the, and he talks about Anselm, the philosopher, in quotes. It is thus, many, uh, he says, he would thus show that those who do not stand with him on the position of authority, that many truths of Christianity that are attainable by reason without authority, and that those which are not attainable are at least not contrary to reason. Now notice that not we must hold reason at all costs. Some of them we can make out, but others we are hopefully be so glad that it is against not against. Well now what is not against? Jesus says he is not against me, is for me. But this is not for Christ, because then he'd have to have a direct revelation. But not against reason means faith means faith in what? Not anything intelligible, not anything about which words can be said, not anything that even his own reason can say. He admits it's not against, and isn't that a wonderful thing? Well, now you send uh, soldiers out. Do you say, well, now you're not against the Germans, are you? No, you must fight the Germans. That's what you say, don't you? You have to. You have to go and learn how to fight. That doesn't mean now in peacetime, but certainly the soldiers are drilled with operations, with spears, and with fake instruments, and the battle is well, the battle is on. He has no battle with the natural man. He is the natural man. But he builds the natural reason up into faith, faith, hope, and charity. Now, that is added thereunto. But charity, who is charity? What is charity? Well, the church, the mother church, decides what to do. And you give your... When in St. Peter's Church, you know, the, the, the people went around in Germany to make money. And Luther raved against that. St. Peter the Pope has lots of money to build the whole church himself. But he wanted money out of this poor, benighted, poor people financially. So Balt does gelt and kiss and clank, so Balt he sailed in Hamelsbring. As soon as the money is sounded on the bottom, that's the way the soul jumps up to heaven, toward heaven, not following Beatrice, only toward, but never in. There is no finality about anything. Well, now, that is what he demonstrated me by the philosophers, guided by the light of the natural reason. He doesn't need the guidance of the light of the Holy Spirit. B.B. Warfield says what sinners need is new light. That is, the gospel of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ needs new light, and, and new life by giving the Holy Spirit giving him light and life he needs neither this is not the question of moles they are naturally not able to see but these are people who have taken out as we are all of us our own eyes spiritually and now we are blind and Jesus says it when he says has not come unto me all ye that labor father I thank thee that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the prudent hast revealed them unto babes come unto me all ye that labor and I will give you rest for my burden is light and my yoke is easy go not to the Pharisees then he says though in parables they, they see but they see not they hear but they hear not they understand but they understand not that is all the aspects of personality are turned in the wrong direction they will not see they are blind I have taken their own eyes out they will not see what there is to be seen. 
thus the natural reason, as employed by these philosophers, can attain to the knowledge of the existence of God and of the nature of God to the extent at least that he knows its unity. Well, now, if you don't know God as a triune God, you do not know God. There is no such thing as theism, pantheism, deism. I used to hear that. We are pantheists. We're not pantheists because we're not, we're not God. We're not deists because God made the world and forgot about it. Well, the God who made it doesn't forget. He forgets not his people, his own. He sends his only begotten son for them. But neither does he forget the sinner. And that's why the sinner will be at last destroyed because of his forgetting. That is not memory forgetting, but his unwillingness to hear and to proclaim or to talk about. He gave several reasons. He gives for saying that we cannot predicate naturally, univocally of God and God and his creatures. But all the reasons given rest upon the idea of pure univocism implies virtual identity. In other words, the closer you get, the more certain it is you're going to be blocked in. Don't fence me in. Well, okay, he fences God in because he says, God and you, mich und Gott, said Hitler, ich und Gott, well, that's it. I and God, I, man, autonomous, self, my lawgiver, I have declared my independence and now who's going to fight against that? Now, all the reasons given, Parmenides argued that only that can exist which is fully subject to the laws of human logic. Now, that is the point you were making. Now, he said that. You could quote it in Greek. He said it in Greek. I won't bother myself or you about it. But the point is that he said it, and nobody denies that he said it. You can see it in Doeware, for instance. Well, all right. If that were the case, then there could not be a creation out of reason because then they would God's identity then he was not a creator and became an oh my oh my oh my change in God well now we say that God is changeless but he has a being not a triune God a substance something which nobody knows what intellectual if possible cannot change well now you see the cannot change of an abstraction produced projected by the natural man is set over the changelessness of the God of the covenant who says, I, the Lord, change not, and that's why you, my children of Israel, are not consumed. Now, don't you see how complete a rejection this position is of the simple biblical gospel? But Aristotle, oh yeah, let me, this involves the ideal identification of the human with the divine mind. There is no divine position. It's purely rationalistic and deterministic. And if we were held, the whole of Christianity would at once disappear. The same rationalistic and deterministic motif controls Plato in much of his thinking before Aristotle. His ideal is, as it were, to have disappear into God, all to be nothing. That's the mysticism of the East, all to be absorbed into deity and to lose yourself. Now, we lose ourselves in the love of God, but we don't lose our being into an absolute featureless being. Now, you see, the two are quite opposed. Now, in other words, he assumes that man has reached the possibility of logical establishment. Now, then, logic means, of course, you cannot... A is A, and A is not not A. You can't say that. You can't. But who says it? Certainly the Christian doesn't that. He says, I 
think my thoughts subject to the revelation of God. And I am what I am because I am a creature of God. I've sinned against God, but I've been redeemed by Christ. And that's why I am. I am a creature, a sinner, a saved sinner, a sinner who's heir of salvation with all who is with me, loved his appearing. Now he says, there is no divine mind that stands above the human mind. If it were held, the whole of Christianity would visit his fears. Now, particularly in his later dialogues, he saw that such an idea was destructive of human experience. So he thought to save appearance by making concessions, saving the appearances. That is, this, oh yes, time and being is real, time and so forth. But it isn't really real. And the body is the tomb. Soma Saima. Now that's again, I believe in the resurrection of the body. When those who have slept in Jesus shall see him face to face, and our body shall be made like unto his body by the, by the power by which he is able to subject all things to himself. Now you see, this is the disappearance from this seed. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of Seth is the law, but Christ has fulfilled the law. And now, therefore, my beloved brethren, ye resurrection believers, in the midst of those that denied it and said it's impossible, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as ye know, not inasmuch as you think, or as you've reasoned out for yourself, but as much as Christ has been risen from the dead, and we have seen him, we have walked with him, we have talked with him, and we saw him crucified, we saw him after the resurrection. He told us to go to Galilee, and we ate fish supper with him. Now don't you see, everything is done to make it clear that they are, they must listen to him who died for them and rose again, and now said to them, as I depart from you, so said he will come again. And then as he went on high through the clouds, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, remembering them, teaching them to do all the commands that I told you, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Well, now you see there's nothing in that. In the, yeah, go ahead. I was going to see if we could stop for just a second and see if there's any questions so far. Yeah, all right. That's, sure. That's a lot of material. And just if anybody has any sure. questions, feel free to ask. Dr. Van Gill, uh, yeah. I recognize what you're trying to say is that the thesis antithesis position cannot fully define man in relation to God and cannot define God. But do you not agree that that this is the way man thinks? Yeah. This is the way he learns. Yeah. Uh, so it isn't that the A is not non-A is wrong in the sense that it is the way that man identifies so long as you don't try to you know, there, you can't define God that way. That's right. Uh, if I understand what no, that's quite right. We all have to eat. We all have to think, and we have to think logically. But it's all whether you do it in the service of man or in the service of God. Now, a Christian does it in the service of man because, finally, he says, all, whether I eat or drink or think logically, and I should not think illogically. I should not be irrational. I should not be rationalist, but I should think considerably. Then I'm thinking, but I'm thinking my thoughts, which I think, what else can you do but think thoughts? and see things, but see you to is revealed to me. That's all I mean. I'm not... Yes. Uh, well, that brings on a question uh, in terms of what logic is. Then, uh, is the Trinity, 
that there's three and there's one. God is three and one. Yeah. Or that Christ is man, fully man and fully God. Is that logical? No, it's uh, not logical nor unlogical. It is above all other things to be said. This is what God says. Now then, after that, one in substance and three in persons. And that's what the Chalcedon Creed says, because they were going to have it all one substance and no, and all and one substance. And Christ uh, says, I've actualized Chalcedon, because then you have God holy other and then holy one. Now, the ancient church said no such heresy. They had one in substance, but three in persons. And that second person humbled himself, as, it, as Philippians says, to the death of the cross. Being one with God, he thought it not robbery or to grasp after. He was, but he humbled himself, first to be man, which was humiliation, then to the death of the cross. Now you see, that's a totally different metaphysical construction than is this Greek thinking, which is does not make a difference, no trinity. Now, the trinity is the basis of the scriptures. God the creator, Christ the redeemer, the Holy Spirit, and they were told. But who understands that? I don't. Nobody even pretends to. But don't you see, you have to say that at the basis of what is then understandable. But that's why our thinking is analogical thing, totally different. We think, rethink, and not comprehensively, but we sit together. Do you believe this? Are you a Calvinist? Are you this? But we are in Christ, and then we understand better. Would you agree that in a philosophical approach to things, if we begin where Christianity begins, with the Trinity, yeah. we have largely solved the problems of Greek philosophy, certainly the one and the many yeah. Maybe solved is the wrong word here, but the solution lies in the beginning point then. Exactly. Uh, the one of the many uh, is solved, and certainly if we add to that the biblical concept of the Trinity as person, yeah. then we've solved the moral problem that the Greeks faced. Right, and you see, that's why there's so much subordinationism. See, in the early church, there were there's God the Father, then the Son, and then the Spirit. Well, that is why the church council said, no, equal in substance, in power, and in glory. And you know, Jesus in his finally <coughs> said, I and the Father are one. And I returned, I have finished my work. They've listened, they have, and they are now ready. And then he says, with the glory which I had with thee. Well now, who understands that? Who understands God apart from his revelation? And then he, and who could understand that? He says to Thomas, Thomas, he says, have you not seen me? You will see greater things because Father and I are one, but that doesn't mean God is visibly seen, but is there in his glory. He dwells in light that no man can approach unto. Yes, go ahead. I was wondering if you could just briefly um, state what Carnell's position was in regard to the logic that we talked about. Just, I mean, not anything long, but something like we were talking about on the way over here. Fine. Only thing is we have tomorrow evening, haven't we? Or maybe some can't come. Uh, the reason is, if possible, I would like to just complete this. Okay. And then, uh, you see, we won't get back to this. And it's basic for an understanding even of Carnell. Okay. Uh, all right, thank you. Dr. Thus the natural reason, as employed by the philosophers, can attain to the knowledge of the existence and of the nature of God to the extent, at least, that it knows his unity. 
Well, unity without, now that, as you were saying, the unity, one of the many. God's nature is his unity. His persons are his plural, and that's within the Godhead. Now, outside of that, the philosophers have thought, well, there's a unity because logic has made it all unity, and there's diversity because time and space are utterly discrete, unrelated. And don't you see, they never can, even in their own basis, they can't bring them into analogy. And you can't understand yourself because you can't be one with unity without being frozen up by identity. And you can't be one with plurality because you're drowning in these seven seas. I mean, it's impossible to even get them together. And you have to do with them both at the same time. The best illustration is these concrete mixers. There's mixer. You've got to keep them moving. The solidity. It was, it's, there's, there's a lot of cement in there. There's also sand and cement. Pour it out, and there it hardens, and that's why I keep it moving. And there's water, water, water everywhere. Yes? What did you mean with your term concrete universal when you used it? Oh, that's over... Uh, the modern idealists say the ancients had abstract universal. So let's get time into it. And that's why Kierkegaard complains about Hegel. He has put time into logic. Well, that means rigmarole... It means still all temporal is into the universal. Or okay, but does that help matters? It's still the universal which swallows up and doesn't even refer to the God of the scriptures. I don't know. Hegel has that. In his in, in phenomenology of the spirit, he works that out in great detail. Being and non being. You can't you can interchange them. But becoming well, where does becoming come from? It's just there. And then so being and that being and that last got over geist. Well, he gets God out of a bit of mud. Now he's, he says that out of nothing, out of non-being. But time and space are, and that's what he learned from Kant, who said time and space are ultimate. And that's why you must start with that over against that logic was ultimate. Now, there is no ultimate and no knowledge possible even of yourself as a being. They can put you on the couch and examine you. That's your physical existence. There are two selves, but the real self, the algemein of the Wurstein, the general consciousness, is above and is constructive of what the individual says and must say. Now that is, you see, absolutely restructive of God says, I am, I have made man, and I tell you what to do, and you must listen to me. Now, I'm not sure that I've caught your question. Well, then the term concrete universal... Was that your term or someone else's term? No, 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 no. That's Hegel. Oh. Others like him. But it means uh, not God. The real is the rational and the rational is the real. But not in Spinoza's term, who was exclusively rationalist. He wants to get newness. And that's what Kant said. We must have synthesis, newness, and establish facts, a system a priori, how our synthetic judgments a priori. He knew how Nooners came. He knew how systems work. He knew logic. He knew Hume. But he didn't know Hume and logic combined and drinking coffee together. Now that's peace at any price. Well, uh, this may be backing up a little bit, but uh, I was wondering if you could briefly define three different words for me. One of them is uh, univocism, or thinking univocally. The other one, e equivocism. And then, in your own works, uh, you stress analogical thinking. Yeah. Well, univocism means blank identity. 
See, we are identical with God. Equivocis means no relation at all. But your analogy on this Aristotelian Equinian basis means gradually going from plurality or equivocism into unity. That means from unrelatedness to absolute destruction of all individuality. Now, analogical in a Christian sense, as Herman Bobbing works it out in detail, is that we are creatures made in the image of God. Therefore, we think like God, but we are not God, and therefore we can think only step by step into it, and that means analogy. Now, there's two meanings that take the verse from one another. We think God's thoughts after him. Where are those thoughts? Well, we think exegetically of the Bible. We think dogmatically of the confessions, but never anything like what is essentially the Greek approach. He gives, that is Thomas does, reasons for saying that we cannot predicate univocally of God and creatures, but all the reasons he rests on the idea that pure univocism implies virtual identity. Thomas follows Aristotle rather than Plato. When arguing for the existence of God, we must not, he says, hold to the existence is self-evident. Now there again, self-evident. For instance, Scottish philosophy saw the self-evidence of this. Well, what is self-evident? Only God is self-evident to himself. He's not self-evident. He has told us what he is. After that, it is true what he says because he has said it, but not self-evident over against logical deduction. Go ahead. With this rejection of the Parmenidean rationalism and its various forms considered in itself, we cannot have any quarrel in itself, negative. But what is the foundation that underlies the motion, notion of equivocism in the name of which Platonic univocism is rejected? In other words, it's a seesaw. You don't want, there's Mr. Univocism sits there and you equivocism and they go up and down. You're up and I'm down and down, that's the way it's gone. Well, that is actually the way. And it, it's positive idea of God's creation of the world is it the idea that in each fact of the universe surrounding man he is confronted with a plan of God and therefore with the element of mystery that is no fact you can understand because a fact to be a fact must be what it is in this its relationship to someone to a creature either someone that hates God or loves God therefore for God or against God that holds for cabbages and kings for anything whatsoever bugs and, and whatever you have to say that, as John says, no fact was created but by him that shows through Jesus, the Son of God, who is, was, and who was and is all things. Now, his principle of individuation is wholly irrational. His principle of unification is deterministic, rational. His principle of differentiation is irrational and equivocal. I'm trying, John, to help you see what the terms mean. As for Thomas, he does defend the idea of creation. That is, he wants the biblical idea. He's a Christian theologian. One would therefore expect that he would set his principle of individuation over against that of Aristotle, who is a pagan and never heard of Christianity. And certainly his principles are not to be harmonized with the scripture. But Thomas does not do this. To be sure, he does say that, quote, now the knowledge principles that are known to us naturally has been pleased, planted in us by God. For God is the author of our nature. 
These principles, therefore, are also contained in by the divine wisdom. In other words, the same principles that he's found in Aristotle are also contained. In other words, Aristotle is still first, and he's in charge of the family, and he says, what goes, goes. But he constantly falls back on the idea of the creation of man by God. So far as he does, it has already taken the Christian point of view for granted. And it is his purpose to prove the Christian position by reason, or to reason. Look, here I am, I'm a Christian. Now, where's Mr. Reason? Just like in, in, uh, in, in, in Thomas or in uh, Augustine, he argues with reason. And he says, it is reasonable to believe. And therefore, even if it were true that God doesn't exist, it is true that God does exist because it is said that God doesn't exist. Well, that's pure, empty, rationalistic reasoning. And then after that, he says, well, he says, there were three young men, according to the Bible and Daniel, that fired and weren't consumed, and then there was another one. Now, I have three young fellows on the street. I see them every day. But I've never seen three young men in a furnace and that there was a fourth one and that the fire did. That's faith. Now, that's faith. First, credo ut intelligam. That is, I, under, I believe, and then I gradually understand. That's what his final position was. But first, he was a flaming, as Carnell rightly says, he's a flaming rationalist. That was when he was still under Plato. He had been under Manichaean dualism, and Plato helped him find unity. But he said, what I find in Plato unity, I find not of Christ and what I find in the scriptures. Now, you see, he read the scriptures. He read his Plato. He read both of them. He tried to harmonize them. It couldn't be done. The first Justin Martyr said, yes, we have more, but what Plato has is the same what we have, only we have more. But it isn't more, it's other. He constantly, uh, so when he constantly refers to the fact that human knowledge is derived from the senses, now frequently people said, well, he wasn't rationalistic, he was a sensationalist, that is, sense, depending on sense knowledge. He was an empiricist. Now, that isn't quite true, there's a little truth in it, but never to be forgotten that Aristotle, the logician par excellence from whom we all have learned and who is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ because he has taught the church to think reasonably according to the laws which God has created into our minds. We have to think. We can't just jumble up and say this is true and that's not true. Now that is basically one further point. It are indirectly established the point made before that non-Christian character of his principle of individuation. The point is that Thomas supplements the Christian idea of univicism. He means of a non-Christian idea of equivocism. So in turn, he supplements the non-Christian idea of equivocism by the non-Christian idea of univicism. Well, it's all intertwined. Well, maybe that's enough. Vatican II, may I say about Vatican II? That's very, very currently interesting. We ask now whether the situation has changed because of the decisions of the Second Vatican, only a few years old. Through the official decisions of Vatican II, Mother Church is again calling the present writer, together with all Protestants, back to its bosom, to the Mother Church. The Council of Trent in Vatican II also called this writer back to the fold. But at the same time, her voice was stern. He said, it, he said, was said to be a heretic, as Luther and Calvin were heretics. All his labors for the kingdom of Christ would be lost 
and he himself stood in jeopardy of losing his part in Christ and his Savior unless he returned to Mother Church. Through Vatican II, if Mother Church speaks with a soft voice and pleading voice, the present writer is how one of the departed brethren. We are no longer heretics. We are just departed brethren. But how brotherly that is. He was really all the while <laughs> been to the soul of the church. I'm quoting literally. And I'm not trying to be funny about it. This is a serious matter because this there are thousands of them going back to the Roman Catholic Church. And at this point, I shall give my reasons why he cannot return to the Mother Church. He appreciates greatly the difference in tone of voice used in Vatican II is over against that of Trent. He would emulate the courtesy with which representatives of the Mother Church now seek him out for dialogue. You see, it's all dialogue. We had a man at the seminary speaking a few weeks ago. He was a professor of history at the Free University. He talked about the Orientals. We have to have dialogue with them. They have to tell us what they need, what they've got to offer. Well, Bible says, we, the church of Jesus Christ, must bring the gospel of salvation to those who know it not. That's all past. It's dialogue. And now Mother Church wants dialogue with us, and it's all dialogue. But the dialogue is questioned. Who wins the, who wins the dialogue? At this point, he would emulate, even though so the writer believes the theology of Mother Church, as expressed in Vatican II, is not significantly and it's all dialogue. But the dialogue is questioned. Who wins the who wins the dialogue? At this point, he would emulate. Even though so, the writer believes the theology of Mother Church, as expressed in Vatican II, is not significantly different from that of Vatican II and of one and of Trent. The theology of Trent was basically unacceptable to the reformers. The theology of Vatican II is basically understood to the sons of the reformers. And then I've tried to give over Berkauer on Vatican II. Today, Dr. Berkauer speaks of the new climate of life and thought in the Catholic Church. Now, he's a reform man, and he thinks, well, what is it? Through the influence of such men as Ives Congar and others, he says, a more open-mindedness toward the Reformation and many others like him. Well, I don't need to go. I don't believe anything of that. There's not. The Mother Church is just as insistent that without the Church is no salvation. Now, the Church says every good person is potentially in the Church, so we're all in, except for those who are violently opposed. Now, that's about the Roman Catholic, but it is up to date, and it is. Well, when you saw on TV, you know, when the Pope was there, he drank the wine, but he didn't give the bread to any of the laymen. I, there's, a, there's 288 Roman Catholic retired sisters, and they becomes a great priest. And he has all this, and then he carefully turns and takes it. All right, they each get a little piece of the bread, put on their tongue carefully so that it doesn't touch any human flesh. And why is this Vatican so insistent on monasticism? Well. The average person is lower in the scale of being so he can get married, but the priest was not married. He's a little higher in the scale than the, than the priest. Now, that's true. And the archangel is only one of them because there can be only one. That's logic. You see the scale. There's a lot of little ones, a little less of the bigger ones. And then great is when you get one, there's only one. And then that's how the one and many is problem. See, and that's true.
Well then, shall we talk about it? Can we stop and see if there's any questions right here, Dr. Mayer? Yes. Okay. Uh, first, this gentleman. Um, you, you talk about the scale of being uh, the Catholic position. Pardon? You, you talked about the scale of being. Yes. Uh, uh, contrast that with the with the idea of the Reformed. Well, in a, in a word, Bobbing says the Protestant Reformation is ethical. The Romanist position is metaphysical. That is, you are higher, not higher up in the hog, but you are higher actually in the scale of being because you're higher made that way and the angels are higher and then the archangels are higher and the, Michael is it, the archangel is the highest and he's the universal, but he is not triune. That's, that is impossible for created man. But they say those things. Well, is, is the... The Romans got at the top of the scale of being. Is there no real division? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You see, yeah, the Pope is on top. Well, I mean, I'm talking about God. Is is he somewhere in the scale of being? No, 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 no. He's above all. But you see, he's he's something of which only something can be said, and not too much. Well, what is that something? Faith, love, and charity. Well, that's taken from the Bible. If you want to say anything, you can't say anything by negation. And that's why the mother church, it is better, they say. But uh, I was there, and one of my students, yeah, go ahead. Can we consider a conservative pope better than a liberal pope in this Protestant? Well, you, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Do <laughs> you think either of them is going to help us out and keep us from selling down this country billions and billions? I don't. I'm a Republican because when I came, Teddy Roosevelt was Republican. And that's why I'm still a Republican. I'm just a traditionalist. Now, maybe you're a Democrat. Maybe you were going to vote for Jimmy Carter. Okay. Does it make any difference on spending? Basically, they're president of these United States, and they are trying, hopefully, to get the hostage released, but they're impotent. They can't do a thing because the famous so-and-so that sits just says, well, what I say goes. He is God, and it's a religious war. Well, should we be at war with them? It seems to me in one of your books you mentioned that uh, Roman Catholicism was the most distorted form of Christianity, yet Christian. Yeah, I believe that. So do we have do we have any dialogue with them or not? Or do we fight against them? No, both. We are we make friends of our enemies. We must love our enemies, so we must teach them and we must write about them and kindly, suaviter in modo but fortiter in re, kind in your manner, but strong in your convictions. You must not tone down the truth. As if that's not right. Not only the Reformations who said the Pope was the Antichrist. We don't say that. But the anti-Christian principle, as John the Apostle says, is already in the word, world. Because he who says that Christ Jesus has not come into the world at this time in space, we have walked with him, we've talked with him, we heard him. And anybody says, no says is anti-Christian. He's anti-Christian. There are many anti-Christs. Jesus said in, in, in his address, you know, eschatology, listen not. One will say, I'm the Christ. Go not after him. I'm the Christ. No, no. Don't you see? But therefore listen to the prophets. And as we have that high great word of prophecy, which we do well to heed until the day star rises. The star rises in the hearts of those that live. Now, don't you see? Of course we must ask them to be saved, but have they, and I'm not saying, I know people that I'm sure are saved as well as we are. 
like a neighbor of ours, she was always going to Mass when she went to the Mass, to the great festival of St. Mary. And she told me about it. Well, I said, Mr. you don't trust in Mother Mary. Oh, no, she says, I don't, but she's a good way to get to Jesus. Well, that's the way, but, but don't you see, at the cross, Jesus says, woman, certainly not my mother. I'm your child, and that's why, but woman, you are now saved by grace, but that's not the way they think of Mar Mary Mother, uh, of Mother Mary. Who else? Well, now, let's go on, if I may. Yes, go ahead. Since Vatican II is based on the Council of Trent, and the Council of Trent opposes justification by faith only. Yeah, definitely. Then the Catholic system is not Christian, is that? No, the system is anti-Christian. Salvation by works is, well, from that we must be saved. Jesus, it is not of him that works, nor of him that runs, but it is him that's received. What have you received that you have not received by grace? And so why don't you also tell others that they must not depend on works of, of righteousness? On the other hand, Matthew says, you know, you must work out. That is, you must develop your faith and express it in work. And that's what James says. Show me your faith through your works, good works. Feed the poor and call on widows and orphans. And in Matthew, you see, Jesus says, well, those at his right hand, they had not even, when have we seen thee do this? Inasmuch as you have done unto these least of my little ones on his left, when did we see you? We played ball with you in Nazareth. We saw you make clay pigeons and throw them up and they turned alive, like the Apocrypha says. But, well, I have never known you. Now, there's exactly the same word with exactly the opposite meaning. In the beginning was the Logos, is the basis, the word. And then this uh, Jewish man who wanted to make the Old Testament the Greek, he says the same thing. Well, see, the, the same words, you have to get meanings in relations. And how do you get it? By reading, by thinking, by ordering, by connecting, by logic, by deduction, by induction, by further investigation, implication into the truth as it is revealed to you, as it is already pre-interpreted from all eternity in the Bible to God, by God, through Christ, through his apostles, and to us. Who else? Yes, go ahead. You were... Uh back to Thomas Aquinas, you were reading the portion there where he talks about finding God through uh, the right use of reason. Now that would, that he is saying that reason is a common ground, is he not? Yes. And what would your position be? Well, you see, there's no common ground of interpretation. See, we do not agree with unbelievers that Christ did not die. We say he did die. Now, if we use the same word Christ, and he says did not, and I say did. Well, one difference. Well, homoousios, identical. Homoousios, like. The difference, heresy, is one letter. A yota subscript. Well, now, don't you see, it's so necessary, therefore, to have careful exegesis. Now, that doesn't mean everybody has to learn Greek. There's plenty of exegesis works that are in English based on that. But my point, if I may go on to Bishop Butler. Well, now, when I was at Princeton, we learned the probability argument. Now, that comes from Bishop Butler, and who was an Anglican clergyman, but Arminian in his theology, free will. He says, nobody can start unless he wills. Well, that's like bird and donkey. There was a bale of hay here and a bale of hay there, but couldn't decide which bale to eat. Consequently, he perished. 
No, that's, well, that's free will with nothing to choose from. Then you're in a vacuum, and you are a vacuum in a vacuum, and there's no vacuum sweeper to take you out of the vacuum, except that God, by his grace, takes you out of that vacuum of idea and gives you content in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now, he had no content. And then uh, there was a famous man, I forget his name now, he gradually went back into Rome, and he became a great bishop. I forget who he was, doesn't matter. Now, don't you see, it, it is his analogy that is a big book. And what is analogy? Well, he finds it everywhere. He says, well, it's thundering, and here's a cluck hand, and the little chicks come together, and she gives herself that sacrifice. Isn't, that's the principle. And now we get bigger and better. We're all on good terms with the Father. <coughs> He's our Father, is he not? That's what he says, and we are his children. All of us doesn't begin sin or creation or redemption into it. We are all his being. Universal fatherhood of God. And But now he says, then he tells us he wants to introduce us to his son. And so he tells us about that. Well, then the, the son tells us more about himself. But don't you see, we have to say we have sinned against God. And that's the creator. That's the We don't say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but God, the creator. And that's why the seed of the woman shall defeat the seed of the serpent and that's the son Galatians 3 that rock is Christ not many but one now since that is the one through whom we and that's not what he is willing to do that's why he's not willing to take that for granted on authority it's got to be proven he's from Kentucky he wants proof that proof of the pudding now he says please prove it to me well then he says uh, there are a lot of illustrations I can give. Of course, Paley has his famous watch illustration. You walk in the sand and you find a watch. Well, now, there must have been a watchmaker. Well, let's find him. Well, there's nobody in the way. Well, if you just think God created the sun, moon, and the stars, and you look through a telescope and you see the galaxies, and through a microscope and see the crittly things, crittly things in one drop of water, that's when God, our God, just like when Israel went through the Red Sea or through the, yes, but also through the Jordan and they, when the priests took the Ark of the Covenant, they were told take 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and when your children come, and when you sit down, when you rise up, when you in the evening when you retire, tell your children, our God is the Creator and He redeemed us, here was the wrath of the Egyptians, they would have destroyed us but we were led through the Red Sea and the cloud went ahead of us and the fire by night, and so we at last, in spite of our sins, the whole generation said they were not willing to be, but our children, they at last, now we stand at Jericho, and there comes Israel, and then he fights the angel of the Lord, but that angel of the Lord is the angel of the Lord, the covenant God, who redeems Israel, and leads them in, and then when at Joshua's behest, the sun stands still, well, who made the sun? Now, what's the more beautiful thing? watch? Well, that's a little teeny-weeny thing which some watchmaker made. Some watchmaker made, and God made the watchmaker, and his grandfather was a watchmaker. Adam was not a watchmaker, but God is maker of all things. Well, now you see, but do you have to start from something like that? You start from what you're told that God has made you and has given you ingenuity, and that God has given some of those who are not his people but hate him and abilities and insights and penetration and logical arguments of derivation, observation and definitions to lots of non-Christians. He does it. That produces a gold watch. Now, you better make it 
dangerous to make a gold watch these days because somebody's going to steal it on you. Now, that and all that I mean by presupposing is what anybody takes for granted, accepts his own authority, presupposes that before he starts reasoning. Or the Greeks presupposed that being was thus rational. Others said non-rational. And we, and then that's why we say we have to put one truth over against falsehood. They think that's the truth. Nobody's without faith. You say to somebody, you don't believe this? What do you believe? You believe nothing. Oh, yes, you do. You believe that this is nothing. That's a belief. And that means that you believe that God is nothing. And you'll find out that you'll soon be calling the mountains. Well, he says, I don't know, but who's told you that? I says, the Bible. I don't believe it. Well, I don't. I don't either. I can't tell you, but I'm sure that it'll happen. I'm not smarter than you be. You remember that? Bluebird and the Phoebe be smarter than we be. We're not, as Christians, smarter than Aristotle, the greatest human minds that ever have been brought into this world were Plato, Aristotle, Kant, Hegel, and Kierkegaard, and Barth. But does that mean that they can help us if we are dying and oh Lord have mercy on me a sinner that's what they do they cry out and the rich man he says oh Abram Abram I didn't do what I ought to have done I should have helped poor Lazarus but I was too busy having a good time and now there are five brothers and I'm so it's just a pity they were seeking excuse Abram had sent Lazarus and now look here do differently and he said why didn't you tell me don't you see I was once with a man riding in a railroad there was a woods there and the, and the train came and just about caught us we would have sued the railroad company or tried to we wouldn't have succeeded because it was our own fault alright they can take away they can ring the bell they can clear it all out bing bing bong but it is our fault and man's fault because we will not hear either the revelation of God in nature from the beginning <coughs> or after that in the law of Moses, then the law of God, or in the revelation of his son, the son of Jesus Christ. The son of God has come into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Well, what are those works? Confusion. Blinding people to the faith. Keeping them blind. But he didn't succeed. He succeeded in bring, getting into, into Judas's Someone said the last thing Jesus did when Judas had been with him for three years and had seen him do all those miracles, he said, wash his dirty feet. And then he betrays his master, Rabbi, Rabbi, to the authorities to have him hanged, and he hanged himself. Well, that was evil conscience, but that's typical of an evil conscience of repentance. I had a man living my neighbor, and the neighbors called him a pig because he never washed his clothes. I said, Frank, you know what the book says. It is set for man once to die. After that, the judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then he got a heart attack, and he, they carried him to the acne, I mean, to the uh, emergency room. I went over there. And these fellows whose daughter was in training heard me pray with them. She said, Mr. Matilda, I don't want you to talk to him, Frank. I don't want you to talk. I says, Phyllis, the doctors think he's not going to live. And I've talked to Frank many a time. And I have to do that. And, well, all right, this is what the, she didn't believe. The Bible says this and that. Well, she, he lived through it. And then later on, my wife was in the hospital, and we had taken him over for tea a lot of times, and he liked us. So, how's Mrs. Matilda? I says, Frank, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I've told you oftentimes. But 
thing you're living by, you're going straight to hell. Okay, he says, then I have lots of good company. Well, there was another man who was cancer, and I called on him, Harvey. Next time, Mr. Mattel, don't give me another sermon. He was livid, livid. And then uh, his wife called up and said, Mrs. Mattel, your husband doesn't have to come. We have a pastor. Well, a big sign. If you drink as much as a fish drink, be sure you drink what the fish drinks. Well, a water minister was okay. A gospel minister, not so good. And that water minister put some great glory. I suppose he wrote a check because he never darkened the door. And then Florence, after that, then there was another minister. Oh, it was nice to talk to Florence. A lot of fun to talk to Florence. She said, I was... I should lose. I had a big pot belly. I should lose 50 pounds and this and that. And then the neighbor lady said, you like the gown. I like the message. Well, there's no message of salvation. A Roman Catholic died. The lady said, oh, please have. I says, well, I'm a Protestant. I, that's what he wanted. Well, and then so down the line. Go ahead. When you're, when you're talking about Butler's uh, probability, what what is the alternative? Well, to, to Butler's probability arguments, what's the alternative? Well, to accept on authority what the Bible says, that's all I mean by presupposing. If you say to the universe, please get off and let me get under and see what's underneath. Well, that you can't do that, and it isn't probable, it is impossible. Now, if he talks about a possibility that God does exist, then you don't say, you don't even say that to your wife. Honey, I think you possibly exist. He's just made a fine chicken dinner for you. You say, honey, thank you for existing, and I've seen you, and I love you, and I love a little kid we got together. But you see, you say that, and you love it, and you mean it, and you go out, out to do it, and you, you buy a nice house for her. But you see, that's Christ who loves his own, who love him. The church loves him. And that's why it's the marital relation. And Jesus says, I will not eat or drink this with you till in the hereafter. In the book of Revelation, the church, the bride says, come quickly, and the bride, come, I come, lo, I come. Well, you see, probability, well, it, it all means, there are how many probabilities? Here's John Doe, who killed John Doe. Well, there's internal evidence and external. Well, internal, how many prophecies are there? And miracles, well, about 75 or more, and then internal, and external evidence, and internal evidence, and then the history of that, and thinking, and so on, one, two, three, four, five, and then probability. Well, what's the probability? One million against one million. In other words, it means precisely nothing, because probability is even on factuality or on abstract possibility, which puts back of God, which is meaningless or worse, because then you're saying, God, you're not God, but possibly... There is something somewhere else. Now, I don't know what else to say. You see, and that's why it's not good. Because our God does not probably exist. He says, I, the Lord, am thy God. And vengeance belongeth to me. It is a fearful thing to have hand in the hands of the living God. But only because if we reject what God has said, and then especially what in the New Testament, and over and over the evidence, evidential apologetics, Jesus says, You've seen these miracles. You've seen me hundreds of times. I've healed the sick. I've caused the blind to see. And I've raised up people from the dead. Yet you will not believe. Now, that is just factuality. Go ahead. I was checking the time. Parker? Go ahead, John. Um, Romans 1, verses 18 to 21, uh, speaks of uh, man's knowledge of God. To what extent does a person know God in truth? Well, he cannot help but. 
because he's made because God tells him Adam was created he took him of the dust of the ground and made him then he took Eve and made her also that she might be a helpmate well now that's I'm I uh, of course Cain and Abel were told that so Cain goes and kills his brother he didn't like that Abel found favor he wasn't just a nice boy but he God accepted his sacrifice that seems arbitrary but there was in the heart well, now, God alone judges the heart. Now, I, I still don't have your question quite. Okay, uh, in regard to evidences, now, Romans 1 says that uh, by the things God made, we know him, even his power, even his God. Yeah. Uh, how about a person who is an unbeliever? Does he know God? Yes, because you see, there's nobody who does not know God and is responsible for that, because that's as in Adam... We have sinned in Adam representatively. Therefore, all men living past, present, and future are in Adam and subject to the death to die. Now then, in addition to that, knowing God, non distontheon, apanitio, or ectisio, from the day of birth in paradise, God talked with Adam, you shall not do that, and talked with Eve, you shall not eat of the tree, and, for, and cursed the serpent, you shall... Go on your belly, curse the ground to Adam because you have listened. That's why the ground is cursed. Well, now it's a cursed earth and a cursed ground and a cursed man because he has followed the devil. Well, now that is known by conscience now. He knows now he's heard it or he hasn't heard it. And the responsibility is always still with him, you see. And then after that, Moses and the prophets, like in the Jesus talks, they have. Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. There's always, and then how much the more? Finally, the revelation of his son, whom he sent to die on the cross. Now, see, it's always plenty, and Jesus said, though they heard, though they saw, they saw not, though they, because their hearts were hardened, lest I should give them faith. In other words, Paul says, it is not of him that runs, nor of him that walks, but of God that giveth mercy. And that's why we have to listen to the mercy of God. And, and plead with others that they may repent. They can't? Sure. But they pray. Will God hear? We hope. We pray. Jesus prayed all night long. Not for himself. He was sinless. But he prayed for his own. Now he had prayed all night for you and for me and for all his saved that we might not be tempted to fall back into lower positions let alone forsake the faith which by the mercy of God he said we shall never do but we can go lower, lower, lower. We can go from inerrancy to some general position. We can say, well, then by natural reason, we also then, then what's the use of the Reformation? We're all in Mother Church, is in the Mother World. Now that's the way it's going. Yes, go ahead. Is it right, if I understand what you say, then that man has a priori knowledge of God? Well, you see, I don't care to use the word. I don't either. like the word, but... Well, you all right. Prior knowledge, you came by it. Philosophers use it, and so right. I'll use it. Because when you go to missions, you have to learn the language of the people you talk to. You have to reduce their language to uh, their, what they say to writing into the body. Now, that's what we try to do. Therefore, when they say a priori, posteriori, implication, and say, well, so, all right, then I say, look, what does that mean? Please tell me, have a cup of coffee, and then tell it a little more plainly. And then he says, well, now, you... Apparently you don't know what logic is, do you? I said, I have heard of Aristotle, 
and he says <laughs> and Aristotle is the father of logic and of all logicians now then what does Aristotle say you cannot say two times two are four two times two are not four sure that's good we should all do that way <coughs> no I mean well, what I'm getting at I, I'm kind of inclined to agree with you but in terms of the philosopher when he uses <coughs> a priori he means this is an inherent knowledge yeah. not knowledge that he sought but it came prior to him even yeah. in advance right. but you so, would say so, so what, and right. so what you're saying to John uh, that uh, that all men have the knowledge of God in that sense philosophically it's an a priori knowledge <coughs> therefore of God. God is the a priori right. the condition okay. into which or dependent upon which alone you are created in the image of God and therefore unavoidably a priori before the experience in experience but you see before is in because you are there to say it and you are experiencing your own saying it may I say a few words oh there's somebody back there yes, uh, this is probably a question I should have uh, got in last night but <coughs> I was wondering what your apologetic approach would be to adherence of a rational revelatory faith such as Islam Church is who? Islam. The Islamic faith. Well, that's paganism. That's hatred of the Christ. God, Allah, Allah. But not the Christ. Christ is one prophet, lower than Allah. Well, that's a distinct insult to the Christ of the Scriptures. He is a man. He's a sinner. And now he's making havoc. Allah is our God. And that's why kill the Christians. How many Christians haven't been killed by Islam because of that false religion? You know, they were going up to Spain. They were going to Africa. Uganda in Ibianin declared his Republican and Islamic position and got cultivated assassins to take to take the Christian missionaries out by surprise. They almost did. Allah, Allah. Well, go ahead. So what? What are you saying? Your approach is to uh, for to use his example to well, his. I would say to all of them exactly the same. Because it doesn't make a speck of difference whether you're in the first grade or university graduate. You have to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and believe what God has told me, that Jesus Christ has saved sinners and that I am chief of them. As Paul said, that doesn't mean that you have committed murder and whatnot, but you are in your mind utterly undone and that unless I am saved and I am saved by the sovereign mercy of God, I cannot attain the kingdom of heaven. But may I say, are you in a hurry? Well, about 15 minutes. Well, okay. You want to save that for tomorrow? No, I'd like to get, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Well, Gordon Clark, not Gordon Clark. Yes, Gordon Clark says, in the beginning was logic, and logic was with God, and logic was God. And he says that literally. And then he says, uh, in a little book, Can I Believe My Bible? Would, I've proved the Bible to be rational, but not altogether. Accidents happen. And then elsewhere he says, well, God may fool him by hiding behind a mountain. Now he says, and that knowledge is, <coughs> sciences are not revelational or uh, cognational. Well, then if he says directly what the Bible says is the case, that God reveals himself in the facts, well, that's a leading scientist in Harvard, I think, says that. And when he wrote a book on Bart's methodology, well, he doesn't say that there's no gospel in it, but he says it's irrational. Well, that's too bad. Well, let me think of Clark. He was a student of mine, a brilliant student. Then he wrote, went to Boston University School of Theology, 
under Boston Personalist, brilliant men, and, uh, Brightman and others. And uh, so he was ill, and he, to his dying day, believed in the Aaron Serenity scripture. I know that from people who said so with him. I mean, I'm not, and he was a brilliant man. He came over. Well, he says, if you don't believe in the fourth book of logic, make peace with the law of contradiction. Well, that, then we can't talk. Well, you make peace with God through Jesus Christ in an ethical sense, but he meant work according to thinking according to. And then he said, first, uh, uh, bring on your revelations, and a rational man will choose between you. We'll flunk all of them, but Christianity will pass magna cum laude. Well, Christ does not want to be judged by rational, irrational, or what kind of man. He is the judge of the living of the dead. And he said that literally. Later, it's the axioms of a decent society. He went weaker and weaker. Now, I bemoaned that because I knew him personally, and I knew what a splendid, gifted man he was. And I know that at Fuller Seminary, he was true to his faith till his dying day. But don't you see how Satan deceives us because he gets under an influence? And I was there, and uh, he couldn't come. Somebody, I thought Dr. Carnell was one of your pupils, isn't he? Think? I said, true, he did, but you people here spoiled him. And then I wrote a letter of apology later to the dean. He says, you didn't have to say so. From your point of view, we did spoil him, because he believes now what we believe. He did believe what you believe. Well, they saw that there was a difference between us. <laughs> May I say one more thing? Uh, I had an invitation from the Boston School of Personalism. <clears throat> I know who they were. And I wrote back, what do you want me to talk about? Well, tell us how we look from where you now sit. Well, I said, that may mean, since I'm a rock-ribbed Calvinist and you're ultra-Armenian, modern Armenian personalist, I might have to spank the children of my host. So when the man introduced me, he said, well, he says, bend over. We're going to get their spanking. Well, I didn't spank I just started from there to point out that you, against the idealist, absolute idealist, which make absolute mustard out of the individual, is universal law. They are individualist and person, but persons have to identify themselves because they don't refer to the Bible. They still have to law, according to the law of identity, which you are depersonalized. Well, just like, well, with Aristotle, it's either universal or Socrates is a man, Callius, Socrates is snub-nosed, all right, then it's an accident, and that's why personalism is not able to live up to its own principle of personalism because person cannot identify himself, any person, unless he is identified by God, the tri-personal God who says, you are Mr. Jones, created after the image of God, and that's why you can think reasonably and use your intellect as you ought to, but you didn't because you subverted it, and now you're using that same intellect, the same gift, your Aristotle or whatever, Einstein. But now, unfortunately, you were not doing that. Well, he was a wonderful man, but was sad to say at this point he just got allowed himself to stay. Are you played out? I have a question. Yeah. I have a question uh, concerning Roman Catholicism. Yeah. Father Edward O'Connor of Notre Dame has observed that the current kinds of spirituality, the the um, 
statements made by charismatic groups are very much in line with traditional Roman Catholic teaching. And that he sees that one day they may, this may be the point of uh, connection. Yeah. Well, the, Roman, the Mother Church bewails the Pentecostalists because they're taking so many from the, of the faithful. Well, which heresy is worse? Which do you want to choose from? The one neither offers salvation <clears throat> in the once for all finished work of Christ. It's all either reproduction of a spirit who has been given once as a Christ who has been given once who said it is finished and the spirit is now given you and now in Pentecost you and your children. You see, it's an attack on the once for all finished work of Christ and of the finished work of the Holy Spirit and of the Father of the triune God is all neglected or ignored or set aside. Now, I don't know whether that's helpful or not. It is. Well, if the Pentecostal believed in eternal security, would it still be a heresy? They believe in what? If the Pentecostal believed in eternal security, would that still be a heresy? On what basis do they believe that? On the death and resurrection of Christ? Do they mention them? Once for all given for men on which alone men can be saved? Is that, that's what you and I face because he died for me and rose again and forgave me my sins. That's why when I die, I am not afraid because I shall be brought into the mansions of light, into Abram's bosom, or I shall bar with Jesus in paradise. Do any of them ever say anything resembling that? I don't know what they do, but I don't know them. I mean, I'm willing to be taught. Well, most of them are Arminian. Pardon? But I say most charismatics tend to lean to the Arminian view. Well, that again shows how bad the Armenian view is that it leads to that. <laughs> I mean that. Look, Arminianism means independence, see? Not within the council, but independent or over against. That's why possibility. They say possibility. Well, you possibility, and you go to the graveyard, and you say, look, I've got a million, million dollars in the bank for you. Please jump on. Well, is there going to be any response? Well, Ezekiel's dead men's bones, but they live by the Spirit. Well, now, don't you see? I mean, seriously, it's a very serious thing because it goes from one to the other. Independence, free will of God means I'm not a creature, and you don't have to save me. I certainly like to be saved by the blood of Jesus, and Armenians are good Christians and better behaved Christians than many a Calvinist. But the point is that it leads to that sort of thing, and then many others are not that good of Christians, and they... They forget They're the, the fountain from which they've been hewn, or the rock from which they've hewn, the, the fountain of blood for Jerusalem and Jerusalem. Don't you see, there's, it's basically a tendency of the time to forget the inerrancy of the Scripture, the once-for-allness of the Gospel, and the sovereign grace of God. How do you find it? Where do you find it? I'm not a pessimist. Maybe temperamentally, but you can't if you're a Christian. <laughs> what do you mean when you use the term way of eminence or eminence? Oh, well, that is gradually up, the way of eminence. I, this is As the opposed to remotion. Yes, exactly. The way of eminence is positively stated. You're getting higher up in the ladder. <coughs> there were more, well, the last ladder is against the sky and it's based on nothing. And then you're on there and you're going from nothing to nothing because you are nothing in Christ. You see, solid ground, rock, Jesus says, he that builds his house on solid rock, that means on Christ, that when the rains come and the floods come, but when you build on false Christ, 
or on some sort of a thought of Christ, then it's on false and quicksand, and you'll sink. Yes, go ahead. 